Welcome to the Busy Mumsy Podcast. I'm your coffee-infused host, Ashley Verma, and I'm here to share all my ups, downs, and all-arounds of being a mom to my gorgeous Adia, owning a fitness business called Define London, and truly managing being a unsingle single mom as we cheer on my husband and his amazing business in Uganda. Oh, yes. Oh, oh. Is this a mic check? You heard that right. Uganda. And he is not doing the daily commute. So each week, I will be joined by a fellow inspiring, thriving, and surviving busy mumsy. We all need to take a deep breath together. We try, we navigate, and not be too hard on ourselves. I get it. I am human, and failures simply happen. I am not shiny, and I am never filtered unapologetically. I am, at its best and worst, busy mumsy. Hi, my busy mumsies. Happy December. Where? Wow. Wow. We're there. We're there. Are you in the holiday spirit yet? Um, I'm not. I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm, I'm not. And it's not like I'm trying to be like bah humbug or anything, but um, yeah, December. Wow. We're here. Um, I'm still maybe, I don't know what I am. I don't know what I am today, but <laughs> perhaps just rambling perhaps just needing to get it together. It's all those things. And there's always a lot of things to do and get done for Christmas. And I, even prior to being a mom, was just never that gal of like, you know, the Christmas tree is up in October. Um, And I actually have clients that put their trees up in October, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, So yeah, I'm not that girl. Um, We are a bit a little last minute.com um, around the Verma house when it comes to this. So um, we will get in the festive season soon. I am not one though to buy the, the presents the day before. I do like to get things done in advance when it comes to that, but um, all the other stuff is a little bit last minute.com. <laughs> Um, there is no sort of lead up then to, to my next guest in saying that we're going to be talking about the holidays and Christmas and all the Christmas shopping, because that is not what we're going to probably be doing because, um, she comes from a very political background and I hope that we're not getting into a political debate because that is not my remit. That is not my wheelhouse. Um, I do live, um, within a family that has a political figure within it and I will keep, she will, she will stay in that world and I will not live in that world. (laughs) Well, on today's show, we are welcoming Selma Shaw. She is partner and senior advisor at Portland, which is a communications and public affairs company. Previously, Selma was special advisor to the Home Secretary, Sajid Javid, from 2018 through 2019. So, she filled some big boots there. There was a lot going on, Um, but also... She fills big boots of being a mama bear. Uh, she is a mom to both a beautiful daughter and son, a new a new little boy, actually. Um, I believe he's like six or seven months old now. Um, I'm really keen to dive into this conversation to hear from Selma, how does she juggle parenting and politics? I mean, ah. There's something there. I, I'm, I'm sure that she um, had a lot on her plate, especially during the time working um, with Mr. Javid. Um, so I can't wait to dive into this week's Busy Mumsy chat. So let's go. Selma Shaw, welcome to the Busy Mumsy podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me, Ashley. Well, you are. It's so lovely to meet you and you are most welcome. The crowd goes wild. How does it feel? 
<laughs> Which bit? Being on a podcast or uh, just generally being a busy mom? Well, you know what? A, everyone deserves a round of applause if you are a busy mumsy. So always a round of applause to that. But is this your first podcast? No, I'm quite a prolific podcaster. And I oh, was... Well, excuse me, love. <laughs> well, it's because um, I'm, a, I'm a political consultant and strategist. And so with politics, I mean, in all over the world being so turbulent... Uh, I do get asked a lot to do uh, podcasting and, um, you know, obviously the rise of audio and, and various bits of media. So um, I'm I'm quite well versed in, in this art, in this medium. Well, being that you are versed in this art, I would like to know, though, is this your first parenting podcast? <laughs> this is my first non-political podcast. So oh, it is how political can we get today? That's what I want to know. How political... <laughs> Can we really open the can of worms, Selma? Because you know what? There is a lot to talk about in politics. Yes, there is. Yes, especially for so, moms. So but you know what? Let's rewind. I love a rewind. I do it all the time on this show. And let's rewind back because you've got two children, two delicious children, a boy and a girl. You've got a, a six-year-old and a nine-month-old. Is that correct? That is right. Yes. And, and, and also my little investigations, a boy and a girl. So, so who's the oldest? So I have a daughter, Zarina, she's six. Um, she came to us during the political turmoil of Brexit in 2016. And then uh, I was totally traumatized after having my first child, I'm sure many parents are. And so I only had the second one in February this year. <laughs> so um, that's basically a potted history of uh, when oh, they arrived. I, I, I don't want to poke and prod, but do you mind sharing what what you experienced? Because I always find that through trauma, and I, I've been very open like about miscarriage, and I find that through thir certain traumas and whatnot that we go to as, go through as parents, it's actually quite cathartic and yeah. helpful for anyone listening that's really trying to seek tools to kind of navigate this wild world of parenting. Would you be willing to share? Yeah, of course. So... I think basically it was that it was that classic thing where you think that you have a kid and you just carry on with your life as normal. And it's so far removed, even if you have all the help in the world or, you know, as much support as you need. It actually can be very difficult to psychologically marry your responsibilities as a parent and know that there's something else in the world that is dependent on you and also your responsibilities in the world. So. At the time uh, my daughter was born, I was what you call a special advisor in the British government. I, uh, as I say, you know, basically came back to a Brexit world um, where we were trying to negotiate uh, ourselves out of the European Union. I was I was slightly sort of um, insulated from all of that because I was in a domestic department dealing with housing. But when my daughter was six months old, I was already back at work and we had a very tragic incident in the UK which was the Grenfell Tower fire I don't know if anyone's heard of this um on your podcast but you know over 70 people died in this and it was one of the biggest tragedies ever and if you're a parent and I I you know it's terrible to to talk about it as if it's kind of you know about me because obviously it's not but we were part of the first early response to this and you're six months postpartum you're still hormonal I was still breastfeeding you know my daughter wasn't sleeping but you have a responsibility to your job 
and it was incredibly overwhelming. It was actually looking back on it, I I would probably say that I probably wasn't all there mentally and I probably hadn't, I probably didn't recover, I would say, mentally until about three or four years later when I finally left government and had some space to start thinking about it, which is probably why I, I was ready to have a, another baby afterwards. I mean, lo- lots of things happen, of course, in between. But I would say it was a pretty seminal moment for my personal experience just to think about, actually, how did I cope? How was my parenting at that point? And, you know, that tear that you feel between your your obligation to your job, to who you are as a person outside of the home and your obligation to your children. I mean, absolutely. I, I don't think there is enough education for women on the other side of having a child in understanding your emotions and your hormones. I mean, there are so there are hundreds of studies that show that it can take up to two years, two full years for you to fully feel back at some sort of leveled out, like yeah. kind of feeling in your body with hormones. I mean, you actually hit rock bottom six months postpartum. I mean, you, you like your hormones have plummeted even further. Yeah. I mean, so many studies have shown that. And I don't feel that a lot of women understand, know, give themselves grace for this. Yeah. And yeah. To, to even put that, then, you know, what you're working on. And I, I you know, I, I said laughingly that we, you know, how political are we going to get? I am going to have to ask you because it's been very public in the headlines recently about women, parents feeling supported by the government for, you know, that working mom, that, to you know, two household income needs that to financially support a child to go to health to, to childcare. Yeah. It's rather bananas how expensive things are. Do you feel government is kind of grabbing the bull by the horns now to try to make things better or more accessible for families that they can try to strive through parenting, but also supporting their children? So I think that. It's it's really, it's difficult because you have a situation where we are basically in Britain in economic crisis. And so the prevailing uh, policies that come out for government are all focused on that one thing. And as a direct result of that, what you are going to see is uh, cuts to uh, public services and cuts to support. And part of that is going to be, I am assuming, um, and I think it's a pretty educated guess that, you know, that support that goes to certain families um, around childcare is also going to be squeezed. So not only do I not think that government, successive governments haven't been good at the childcare puzzle, I think it's probably about to get worse. And I think that there is an issue, and this is governments across, you know, Western liberal um democracies you know like for like comparable ones to ours where the value system that we have doesn't necessarily appreciate family in the way that i think it should and it's not this is not to say that family should look a certain way i you know not in that position i am a conservative but i'm not in a position where i think that you know two parents and children is what a family looks like families come in all different shapes and sizes But I do think that there is a real lack of understanding of how the family unit, the support of women and mothers in particular, particular, can be hugely transformative to, to the project. So, 
just linking it back to the question of hormones and when you hit rock bottom, I visited this really incredible charity called Bluebell. It's based in Bristol and there's lots of charities that do similar work, which is helping women who go into um, any point of perinatal depression. So from, you know, day zero to two years later um, to help support them in ways that the NHS will not where they don't meet the threshold for NHS support. And I think those kinds of organisations and those third sector organisations in particular are so important to the fabric of what we can achieve as a society. And I think government should look at ways of, um, you know, cash is low, we know that, but government should look at ways to support and protect organisations like that that fill the gaps that government can't fill. Um, and I think those small issues mount up to a lot. So we have to ask ourselves as a society, what are our values when it comes to answering the really tough questions that, you know, the prime minister and the chancellor are going to have to when it comes to cuts? It's frightening. It's absolutely frightening, frightening because I'm sitting here thinking to myself, these aren't making headlines. This isn't the news that I'm seeing when I'm, you know, scrolling through and whatnot. So I'm not even aware of the charity that you just mentioned. And why isn't that charity at the forefront? So I know that I could get help, that I could yeah. seek support. And it, well, it, it's, it's frightening. I mean, I, I look, I'm, I'm, I'm back and forth. I'm, I am American. So I, you know, each day I'm learning more and more about the UK ways, if you will. And my, my mother-in-law, as you know, Salma, that is, she's in politics, um, Baroness Firma. And, you know, I ask her questions all the time and, I, I do ask her quite often of why isn't there more support, but why, but not only just, I, I understand the financial side of it, but why isn't it just the, the more, the, the free things, the free offerings, the, the free outlets, why are they not kind of pushed forward into news publications so people know what to do? This will help calm. This will make yeah, us feel less this anxious. Is interesting. This is a super interesting point because one of the things that I think is interesting about the political phenomenon over the last 10 years at least is kind of like the breakdown of communication between government and its electorate or, you know, its charges in terms of the whole country. And it's kind of like why your podcast, why special places, you know, that deal with parenting and motherhood in particular are so important because we are quite fragmented and where does one go for information? Like I find it quite odd that a lot of my friends don't read kind of like, you know, newspapers in the same way that I do. And we are all getting like lots of different information and government ends up, I think, talking to itself a lot and talking to people in Westminster a lot and not really the wider public. And so one of the things that I think is really important is that exact point of communication. How do you get and put information in the hands that need it in the people with the people that could be most benefited from the services that are around and that can be offered and like I say you know Bluebell it, it only operates in a particular area in in Bristol and it, they're trying to expand but you know hopefully they have socialized themselves well in their communities but it's not the case in every postcode in every borough so I do, I think that kind of that that piece that is not just about kind of like, you know, talking to the media, but really how do you connect with your electorate? How do you get them that information that is valuable to them is a really important question. And I'm, I'm afraid I don't have an answer to it. 
nor do I, but isn't it great to actually have the conversation about it? And I hope that the listeners can think about it more and perhaps go to their phones and start Googling and searching what is in their area that could potentially benefit them that they did not know was there. Yeah. And that's what we can only hope and fingers crossed for that because as you had mentioned earlier, we're in crisis mode and we're not even, we've not even hit kind of like the rock bottom of it, if you will. And which is sad to say, but I guess we've all like kind of grabbed an inner tube and we're, we're just going to kind of go on that raft and see what happens. Right. We don't have a choice. Mm. So where we are now, and now you have baby number two, how are you feeling in this kind of crisis, this culture crisis, if you will, this, you know, financial crisis that we are in now navigating with two children? How are you changing your ways of parenting or kind of prepping the family for kind of, you know, the next year or two while we kind of get through this? Yeah. So I think the first thing to say is, um, you know, the, the one thing about being a parent that I think is the most interesting is how it changes your view of the world. And um, I definitely think I, I, I have to cut in there and just say for one, one second, I, everything I do now is heightened times 20. Yeah. And everything has revolves around how will this impact my daughter? Yeah. Not me, my daughter. Yeah. But also, I think it, it just makes you so much more compassionate towards. I mean, I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to be like, oh, God, only mothers can be kind. That's that's not true. Um, but it does. It, I think that, you know, it does force you to just to, to stop being as self-centered. And I and I think that, you know, it makes you much more perhaps open hearted to a certain extent because, you know, everybody's somebody's kid at some point. Right. Um, right. And you, you sort of, you, I start looking at them with that view rather than kind of, oh, that person's annoying me or what, <laughs> whatever it is. So with all this tumultuous sort of world that we're living in, the one thing that sort of worries me most, and it's not, I've, I've got to be honest, you know, we, we're we not going to be hugely affected by the cost of living crisis. And I'm not going to pretend for a moment that, you know, I'm going to be hugely worried about the heating bill and all that kind of stuff. Because, you know, as much as it might mean, mean tightening, it's not the same thing as people who are really going to struggle, you know, who are, who are really choosing between heating and eating. And I don't want to pretend that that's the case for me. Where I really do worry about my children is where are they going to be and what place are they going what they're going to find in the world? And I find that the sort of push towards what I see is as um toxicity in the way that people interact with each other and the way people are siphoned off in terms of their identity, I find that very worrying. You know, I'm in a mixed race marriage. My children are half white English and they're half um Indian, well, my father's Pakistani, my mother's Indian. And, you know, it is constantly this question because, you know, and you and you will know this from, from your, your mother-in-law, you know, it's been a really hard struggle to get where we are today. I don't think my parents would have ever imagined that I would have had the career that I would have had in conservative politics um, that I have had, you know, if I was in their generation. And it does worry me that there is going to be this split Britain um, between, 
you know, a certain type of identity and where you belong and where you fit in. And this idea that you have to be a certain way if you're a certain colour or you have to think a certain way because you have a certain background. And it completely stifles, I think, debate. I think it stifles growth. And I worry for my children as to where they may be forced to push their identity or where they'll be forced to place themselves because they're not a neat little fit anywhere. And isn't that frightening that in 2022, we're still looking for a neat little place to fit? Yeah, but that's but it's sort of, it's made worse, isn't it? Because people can't deal with the problem. It's, it's, it's the worse. There's a reason why I say to my husband, I don't want to go back to America right now. It's not safe. Like I, I don't know where we would fit. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's a weird one. It's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's privileged or not. At the end of the day, people have become a bit scared. Well, not a bit more scared and overly scared and a bit more just throwing with abandonment. And, you know, people are in crisis mode. So you don't know how that's going to reflect on you one day you walk outside your door. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's the one thing that I think is um, very hard as well for a parent to try and... How do you explain that, basically? How do you explain it? Because my daughter is getting to an age where she is relating to and identifying with certain things. And, you know, sometimes it sort of breaks my heart because she identifies as being white. And I'm like, but you're, but you're not. And then how do you explain the complexity of all of that to a six-year-old. And I'm gonna confess, I I don't. <laughs> I haven't quite worked it out yet. I sort of I like know. I, I, you know, I, I I sit here in this podcast recording with you right now in Uganda. I am in East Africa. And I am, you know, to rewind for you, Salma, I am originally from a small town in Moundsville, West Virginia, where we did not have anyone of color growing up. And here I sit in 2022 in Uganda and I feel loved and, uh, you know, I appreciate everyone. They appreciate me. And my daughter is like thriving in kind of a melting pot of so many different cultures that I hope actually by the time she turns six, your daughter's age, that she just kind of, you know, she, she knows what is what, but it just comes from a loving place of understanding and not a questionable place. I, you know, right now, this is where we are. We're back and forth between here and London, but it's feeling like to stay here right now for her to, to, you know, find her feet and her way for at least the next few years while we are obviously here supporting my husband, but, you know, it feels right. But she's also just then exposed to so much more culture. It's crazy. Like I, I, I honestly like look at her. I'm like, you're two and a half. Like I, you know, obviously I can't really remember what I was at two and a half, but I know that I wasn't experiencing this. <laughs> that is for sure. Yeah. I know. And it's kind of, we always, we always try and reach to sort of emulate. I find this anyway, emulate something of our own childhoods that we enjoyed, that we want our children to have uh, in many ways. And then, 
and then the other part of it is trying to give them things that you didn't have. So you're sort of caught between these two, this pendulum swing between trying to repeat what you did or what you experienced and then trying to also give them something that you didn't experience. And sometimes it sort of, you know, it sort of melts your own brain and, you know, you just try and do what you can, but sort of there are new challenges that come up and there are new questions that you didn't expect and you didn't think that you'd have to answer. And it's not like my parents' generation where, you know, even to a certain extent, we were sort of to be seen and not heard and just told to be quiet. And that's not something for us to think about now. And I would never dream of saying that to my own child. I want to explain things to her. Um, my son is still obviously at that happy age where he just like burbles and smiles. He doesn't really have any questions or need any answers, which is delightful. Um, but, you know, I, d I do want to try and explain things. But a lot of the time, even though, you know, I, I give speeches, I go on media, my job is to articulate complex ideas into simpler terms, into much more repeatable, much more understandable terms. I find it hard to talk to her about, you know, like I say, questions about race, identity, where you belong, how you should think about things. And, you know, how do you as a parent then try and guide guide their path and and hopefully, you know, think about how they make good choices and how they think about themselves and how, more importantly, they feel confident about who they are. Um, That's I was going to say confidence. How do they find that like guttural sense of like, yes, I feel like this is the right trajectory or the right path, mom. Like I, that, that I, I, I actually start sweating thinking about that because obviously yeah. we want the best for our, our kids. Right. Or just wrap them in bubble wrap and, you know, call it a day. Right. But, but the real world doesn't allow bubble wrap. So how do we put them forward and, and make it okay, but then also okay for us to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? So I, uh, I mean, and nobody has this figured out. If anybody does, please, you know, <laughs> get in touch. Our number is in the show notes. We, we just want to know, just fast yeah. track. Just, just tell us what this is, what the answer is. But, um, I, I think, I think it, I think the hardest thing is to let go of that sense of control as a parent, because, you know, at this point in time in our children's life, and it would be interesting to talk to um, parents of older children, perhaps teenagers or even older about this, which is, you know, where do you go at that point where they are actually getting their independence and they do have their own thoughts and you can't just sort of do bedtime quickly. Um, they, they do have challenges. They do have things that they've come up against. Um, that they might not necessarily understand and they need you to explain it to them or, you know, they're going through a rebellious stage. I do feel lost about that because how do you explain things to a child in a way that is comprehensible to them where you're giving them information that they can process and not information, where, you know, or an answer that you understand that's too complex for them or that they just can't comprehend? And I find that quite a challenge in terms of communication with especially my six-year-old. You know, how do you talk to her and, and explain things that, uh, you know, about injustice in the world, say? And I remember once, because we live quite near Westminster and Parliament Square, and I remember uh, a protest once where they had this, like, when 
President Trump was still president, and they had this little balloon that was a Trump baby. <laughs> I'm was so sorry for that. I'm just so sorry for that. <laughs> that well, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's interesting, isn't it? What democracy can throw up? Um, yeah. And, but but then but they were protesting it, and I was trying to explain it to her, and all, all she was kind of like very excited about the Trump baby balloon, and then of course a few months later we had the BLM protests and trying to explain to her the, the, the inequality and the injustice that exists in the world because of your skin colour um, was really, really difficult. And that's, that's the first time she said to me, and I, you know, cause I said to her, I said, what, what colour are you? And she's like, Oh, well, well I'm white. And I was like, yes, but mummy's not white. Um, and she said, yes, I'm white and a bit Brown. <laughs> And it was so literal, you know what I mean? It was literal. This is this is what colour I am. And it sort of it does slightly break your heart to think, you know, this is how you process the information now. And at some point, the world with all its prejudices and all its complexities and all its histories and all its difficulties will get to you. And I hope I can equip you enough to be able to cope with that. Yeah, it's, it's getting through all the noise to level it out to fresh new ears, right? Yeah, and and how do you communicate values in that way? Because, you know, and I'm going back to that point on communication, I don't control, and at some point I'm going to have to live with the fact that I will not control the information flow to my child. <laughs> and how, how does that work then? You know, when you're trying to communicate values to to your kids um when you have other influences that come in the way yeah i mean yeah the, the media just keeps on coming at you with so many different influences that you you just don't know what's what anymore yeah and um, through parenting and you now have two beautiful kids what are you what is the number one thing that you're going to hold on to close to your your heart to help navigate them through this crazy world? So basically, I think, and this is very personal to me, but, and you know, not everybody will feel like this, but, you know, having children has given me a new sense of purpose in a way that I don't think I've ever experienced before. And so having them, I think, gives me it's actually less about them. It's more about how I navigate myself in the world. Because to a certain extent, you have to accept and acknowledge that they are going to do what they do and you can just do your best and kind of lead by example. And so the one thing that I think is the most important and what I hold what I hold very close about having the children is how they sort of inspire me every day. And I think I have so much more get up and go, zest, motivation, than I've ever had in my life. And I've always been quite a sort of driven person, but they, they, they really do drive me to do something different, not by anything that they do or say or any way that they challenge. It's just just by the virtue of their being. I think there, there is something that makes me want to do so much better and makes me work harder, makes me strive, makes me think about things differently. And as I say, makes me think less about myself and more about others. And really, what what value am I adding? Because I hope through that, through example, that I can have a positive effect on my children without trying to force 
them to be one way or another. And I and I hope that at some point I've done enough to try and inspire them in some way. Well, Selma, I'm actually going to hold that personal, um, what you just shared, I'm going to hold that close to my heart as well, because that was beautifully said. And I'm going to take a piece of that forward oh. as well. Because, you, you, right, we're, we're all learning from each other in this crazy world of parenting, and especially now. And it's important that I know that I'm not right always, I'm not perfect always, and that's okay because each day I'm just gonna get up and try again and try my best to be at its best to create that safe space, that nurturing space for my daughter, just like you will be for your kids. Selma Shaw, thank you so much for coming on the Busy Mumsy podcast. I know you're not feeling well, so I really appreciate you still pressing play to record and and have some banter with me. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Busy Mumsy podcast. If you have enjoyed this week's show, then please, please give it some extra love wherever you download your podcast and give it a five-star rating, a high five, a kickball change, a yes, yes, go Busy Mumsies. And don't forget, you can find out more information about this week's guest, what we discussed, and everything else related to the world of Busy Mumsy by clicking the link in the show notes down below. 